Well, good morning. Uh, for those whom I haven't been able to meet yet, uh, my name is Justin and uh, welcome to GBC this morning. Uh, it is my privilege to preach God's word to us. And so if you have your Bible with you, please would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, where we are continuing our series uh, in the book of Ephesians and where we've called our series uh, The Death of Division. Uh, for we see in this letter how God has destroyed the divide between us and him and us with each other through our Lord Jesus. Within this series, uh, we're also this morning concluding a three-week mini-series as we've slowed right down in this particular passage in chapter 4, verse 1 to 16, which we have seen really highlights what exactly the church is. I think Tim so helpfully showed us a couple of weeks ago that in the first part of the passage, in verses 1 to 6, that we are one and that we are called to maintain the unity in Christ through community with each other. And then last week, Tony showed us in verses 7 through 12 that Christ gifts us as his church and he equips us for his church. And this week, we'll be unpacking these last four verses from 13 to 16, where we will see that Christ, he matures us also through his church. Uh, a warm welcome to those who are visiting this morning, particularly if you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you're checking out who Jesus is and who the church really is. And I'm so glad that you're here because I think this morning you'll kind of get to peer behind the curtains and hear exactly what it is that we stand for this morning. And I think that you'll get a clear picture of who Jesus is too. And it's my prayer that this morning you might come to him in faith. Before we dive in, let us read the passage. And we're going to read uh, beginning from verse 1 all the way through to 16 to remind us where we have been. So let me read that now. Follow along in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen. And then I'll pray and we'll dive in. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who ascended is the one who also he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, 
Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you for all that you have done for us through your Son, Jesus. As we come to your word, we must come humbly with soft hearts and unstopped ears and opened eyes so that we might see Jesus more clearly and that we might love him more dearly. Please, would you grant us that by your Spirit now. May we leave this morning changed by the power of your word as your spirit works it in our hearts and minds. And we ask this, Father, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, after three of some of the most glorious chapters in the Bible where Paul has plumbed the depths and the mysteries of the gospel, showing us all the wondrous things that God has done for us through his son, Jesus, We've now turned a corner in these last couple of weeks. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He says, in essence, in light of all that I've said in chapters 1 to 3, I am now going to unpack the implications for you. This is what God has done, and now this is what you are to do because of it. This is what Jesus has won, and now this is how you are to walk. And this is very typical of Paul, right? You'll find very similar things in Romans and in Colossians. And it shows us that the gospel has great truth and important implications for us. And the first great and important implication that we have seen in these verses, which we've just read and have been preaching on in the last couple of weeks is that there is a fundamental reality of the unity of the body of Christ in which we all share. This is what Jesus has already won for us on the cross. Paul says in verse 3 that we must be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He continues, there is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And as we saw as well back in chapter 2, that we have been made together as one new man in the place of two. Together we are being built up into one holy temple and a dwelling place for God. And so we see that unity is not an optional extra to the church. It is a glorious gift which has been won for us by Christ and it is a fundamental reality which does exist for those who have been united to Christ by the Spirit and collectively together we are his one body. But I wonder how often does that truly reflect our experience in the here and now. Is this unity something which characterises the church today? I think you would surely have to say no. 
even with the face value consideration of the unbelievable number of different so-called denominations that are in existence today. There would be hundreds of thousands of churches all claiming to follow Jesus, most opening the Bible on any given Sunday, and yet the vast majority of them feel the need to distinguish themselves from the rest. Now, I only intend to raise the question mark around denominations just to illustrate this tension that unity at oftentimes does not seem to characterize the church. Or what about when we think of our own church? Could we truly describe ourselves as a church that is characterized by unity? In the midst of different ages and stages, ethnicities, backgrounds, worldviews, preferences, biblical convictions, how could we possibly be a people marked by unity? I think that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to see this morning, that there is a very real risk of us actually being characterized by disunity instead. I think we must not be so naive to think that we are immune to this just because we consider ourselves a Baptist or because we don't mind the drums in church or because we carry a Bible and say we believe in Jesus. For Paul says that we have been given the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see that there? That until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. See, Paul, he knows that we're not there yet. While we are united to Christ and united to Christ now, not yet will we experience the fullness of this reality. And so we are called to pursue unity. Paul recognises the very real risk that instead of being marked by unity and maturity and Christ-likeness, as we'll see, if we do not eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, then we will be a church that is actually going to be marked by disunity and immaturity. And so the question for us this morning is, how do we? eagerly maintain and pursue the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? How do we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God? How is it that we will push back against the risk of being divided instead? So to answer this question, we'll do well to understand what exactly it is that unity looks like for Paul. And we're going to see that first by saying that unity comes through us maturing through gospel ministry. And secondly, that unity comes through us building each other up in love. We see our first point clearly there in verses 11 to 13, which we've just read through again, that unity comes through us maturing through gospel ministry. Because Christ has gifted his church with the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, which we saw last week, that these are all word-based ministry positions. And while this is most certainly not an exhaustive list of how Christ has gifted his church, it is in fact fundamental to the unity of the church. And this most simply is because we are a people 
of the book, right? Because we hold fast to the truth that in Scripture is given to us the very words of God. And because of that, we all, myself and Tim and Tony included, everyone, we desperately need people who can rightly handle the word of truth, who can teach it faithfully, and who can help us apply it to our lives as we behold Jesus in the text. Because the Bible is how God speaks to us, unity comes to us, through us, through maturing, through gospel ministry. It is through word-based, gospel-centered ministry that those in these offices that are listed there equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, of course, this means uh, there is definitely no reason to leave the ministry up to the professional Christians. While gospel ministry begins with shepherds teaching us the word of God, it most certainly does not end there. But more on that in our second point, which is to come later. Gospel ministry is fundamental for us to attain to unity and maturity, as we will most see clearly in verse 13. For there in verse 13, we see three things which we are to attain to. And to attain simply means for us to come to or to arrive at. So first, we are to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, while these two things might seem uh, different at first, it's clear that Paul is bringing them together in relevance and in importance. Because, most simply, our faith is centred in nothing other than the knowledge of the Son of God. Our faith, it contains many beliefs, right? But none more important than our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Without him, our faith is futile, yes? And so to attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God is to wholly rest on knowing Jesus Christ. If we do not know Jesus Christ, then there can be no unity. Now, it's really important for us to clarify here what we mean by knowing, right? If knowing simply means a mental assent that Jesus existed, then there would be a great many, even atheist historians, who would be united in our faith. So it must mean more than that. If knowing Jesus means... Uh, just the mental ascent that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, that he did rise from the dead, then I think we'll have a whole lot of people walking around without their lives actually being changed by this truth. And I think this is a very real problem within the church. But if knowing Jesus is not less than mental ascent, but is in fact more than this, in that we experientially know him, then this, I believe, is the kind of knowledge of the Son of God that Paul is speaking of. Now, please don't mishear me. I know that the word experiential is a loaded term, right, in light of the Pentecostal movement in the last century. Perhaps I think there's still much more that we can learn from them, but I won't digress, um, though I'd encourage you to come and chat to me more about it later if that's of interest to you. But what I mean by experiential is that we have a living relationship with our Lord Jesus through his Holy Spirit who has taken up residence in us. 
who is at work in us and who is through us making us more like Jesus. We can know lots of true things about the Son of God, but much more than that is required if we are to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We must experientially know Christ. We must have a relationship with him. We must have his Holy Spirit who causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, in love and adoration of all that he has done for us. Without this knowledge of the Son of God, unity is impossible. The wonder of the gospel is that everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus in true faith and repentance will receive his spirit, will come into right relationship with him, will know him as he truly ought to be known. And so this morning, if that is you, if you are now being drawn in his spirit to him, then come. Come and trust him. Come and enjoy the full forgiveness of your sin and being welcomed into his people. For it is freely on offer for you today. There may be some of us here this morning uh, that have not been knowing Christ in this way for some time now. So may I encourage you to return to your first love. Call out to him and ask him to reignite your love and desire for him so that you might walk closely with him again and to know him in the way which Paul is speaking of here. He is calling to you this morning. And the second thing which we are to attain to is to mature manhood. Now, the term mature manhood, that might be a little in our day. Uh, Manhood and masculinity is also a pretty loaded term. But we would do well to note that Paul uses this word rather than the general word for humanity because of what it is in contrast to. We are to be mature like fully grown adults and no longer like children, there in verse 14. Mature manhood is not loaded with cultural understanding, but it is something which we are to attain to because unity comes through us through maturing through gospel ministry. In the contrast of these two images, we get a better understanding of what exactly it means to, mat- to attain to mature manhood. For in verse 14, we see that the purpose of unity is so that we may no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So I think it is right for us to assume that to attain to mature manhood involves not being tossed about by every wind of doctrine. To attain to mature manhood is to actually be deep in God's word so that when storms of false doctrine come, when wicked humans are out to be deceitful in the lies that they tell in the name of Christ, then we will be a people that will stand firm. While children can be irrational, unable to see reason, overly emotional, easily fooled, mature manhood is instead something which brings about and characterises our unity as God's people. Um, To illustrate this, here is my incredibly complicated diagram of a boat. 
And if you can see there, the bottom part of the boat, the blue bit, uh, that is called the ballast. And what the ballast is, is the part of the boat where you put really heavy things in, maybe like rocks or sand, um, though there's probably more sophisticated ways to do it. Um, and what the ballast does is provide weight to the boat, right? So that when waves rise, when the storms roll in, when the winds blow, that boat will remain steadfast in the water and refuse to tip over. The weightier that the ballast is, then the more secure the boat is. And this, I believe, is what it looks like for us to attain to mature manhood as a church. As we are a people, which we have seen time and time again, who are deep in God's word, as our ecosystem shows, this will give us the weighty ballast which we need to weather the doctrinal storms of life. When people bring unnecessarily divisive doctrines our way, we will remain steadfast as we are deep in God's word. When we might come across some YouTube preacher who has quite the following, then we will have the wisdom and maturity to recognize a wolf in sheep's clothing. When we hear one of our friends or family who have been persuaded by lies and deceit, then we will actually be able to gently correct them rather than be pulled into the storm and bring damage to our faith. I think this also means that, uh, as Tony talked about just before with our song, that global news will not be a source of fear or trepidation or anxiety or a cause of division for us. I think there are too many in the church who are shaped more by the news than they are the scriptures. But we have a far greater truth that defines our reality, friends. For we know that not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of our Father, let alone the appointment of what we perceive to be the wrong government party. As bad as we think things might be getting, I can assure you there have been, and there even are now, worse conditions which Christians have been living in. And God has, and he will continue to sustain his people. He will continue to hold them fast. So we need not fear what tomorrow might bring based on what the news is reporting today. We need not get tossed to and fro, carried about by whatever doctrine our society is putting forward right now. For we have something far greater to lean on. The Lord Jesus himself, as he comes clothed to us in his gospel, through the scriptures, with faith awakened in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. As we are a people who are deep in God's word, we will be a people united in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And this is why we will never fail to open the Bible on any given Sunday. This is why the vast majority of our ministries are word-based, because we know that this is God's promised means, which his spirit will use to show us who Jesus is and will work through it to make us more and more like Christ as we apply it to our lives. Without being deep in the word, we cannot reach mature manhood. And we will not attain and we will not maintain the unity of the spirit which we have in Christ. 
So join a growth group if you haven't already. Find a Christian who's been following Jesus that little bit longer than you and ask them to read the Bible with you. Keep coming to church with your Bible open, ready and eager to be shaped by the truth of God's word so that you will continue to grow in, in unity to mature manhood with your brothers and sisters. Friends, we must. And the third thing that we see in how unity comes through us maturing through gospel ministry as we attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, this is quite a wordy phrase and one that's not easy to understand. Um, Perhaps a slightly easier way of phrasing this, uh, as one commentator puts it, is to attain to a stature which is measured by Christ's fullness. Uh, Maybe more simply put again, it is only until we become like Christ so that we can manifest the tangible presence of him on this earth. This is what we are called to. And this will only come about as a result of us being a unified people. As the body of Christ, we are called to be uh, what was made a popular phrase, I imagine, during the Jesus movement, uh, of being his hands and his feet. Um, A phrase not particularly used in the Bible, but I think there's some good truth to this. Uh, As Jesus told his people in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says that we as the church are the light of the world. But also when we read John's gospel, Jesus actually says that he is the light of the world. So it's like, which one is it, Jesus? Are we the light of the world or are you the the light of the world? And the good and right answer is both, right? They're not contradicting each other. Jesus is the light of the world as he draws all men to himself as the only way to salvation. And now that Christ has ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he has sent his spirit to work through the church in the proclamation of the gospel to rescue the lost and to advance his kingdom. And in this way, we too are the light of the world. But oh, how the church has hindered the gospel and has put a basket over itself and hidden the light as we have been fractured by infighting and division. As the world watches on, the church has brought the name of Jesus into disrepute because we have been unwilling to stand firm in the truth of the gospel and to maintain our unity. We must eagerly maintain our unity through maturing, through gospel ministry, so that we can attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. For our gospel witness actually depends on it, friends. Our Christ-likeness is dependent upon our maturity and our unity. And if we are to faithfully call those who are lost into the fold, then we must strive to be a people who are deep in the word so that it produces this in us. This is what true unity in the body of Christ looks like. And it comes through us, maturing through gospel ministry. And secondly, our unity also comes 
through us building each other up in love. This is what we see in verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We see here that unity is a church-wide project. Not a single one of us is exempt from participating in the life of the church as we eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit. Uh, while great emphasis has been placed on those who teach God's Word, and even by me this morning, I don't think enough emphasis has been placed on the responsibility of every member of the body of Christ in this effort towards unity and maturity. Paul makes it very clear in this passage, doesn't he, that we are all to grow up in every way into Christ. How? By speaking the truth in love. This is the means for us all growing into what we are meant to be as the people of God, united and mature. So then, it's quite important for us to know what exactly this phrase means. Firstly, it must mean that we are all speaking the truth of the gospel to one another, that we are encouraging each other, that we are edifying, exhorting, urging each other to keep our eyes on Jesus and to live as he would have us live. This is more of what it looks like to attain to mature manhood as well, rather than being a child buffeted around. To speak to the, the truth in love to one another is to be diligent in helping your fellow brother and sister in Christ to faithfully keep in step with the Spirit and to follow Jesus for all their days. We actually have that responsibility to one another, church. Our unity actually depends on us doing that for one another. Uh, one of the most encouraging things that I receive on a very regular basis um, is my brother Roy, and I like to call him Sir, but he doesn't like me to call him that. Um, where Roy, he pulls me aside and he tells me how good Jesus is and how he and Jenny are praying for me and the family all the time. And I say the same thing to him every time, please don't stop, <laughs> I need it. And can you imagine if we were all like Roy to one another? I know I need to be more like him. In simple ways, speaking the truth to one another in love, reminding one another of how good our Lord has been to us and encouraging each other to remain faithful to him. And we will surely grow up into Jesus as we do this for one another. I think secondly, speaking the truth in love also will mean needing to have difficult conversations with each other from time to time. Uh, for as we see our brother or sister struggling with a particular sin, we would do so well to gently and carefully love them by telling them the truth about it. Uh, the pastor of my last church, he so helpfully called this stabbing your brother in the front. Not in the back by gossiping or slandering to anyone uh, except them about it, but in the front, face to face, because you love them. And yes, it may hurt, 
But the most loving thing to do is to gently correct the one whom you love who might be in error. Of course, we need to be so wise and so careful in doing this. You might have met someone before who has done this in an unhinged way and it's far more hurtful than helpful. But if we truly love our brothers and sisters in Christ and we eagerly desire to attain and maintain the unity of the Spirit, we need to have hard conversations with each other from time to time. Make sure that log is out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brothers. But also don't be unloving by letting that friend come to ruin because of their unawareness of their sin. In fact, I think the more that we are speaking the truth to one another in love, the more that we are encouraging one another in the gospel, the more readily will we not only be able to have these conversations with someone else, but also to receive them, right? Our unity, it comes through us building each other up in love by speaking the truth in love. You know, for any of this to even be even possible, right, there's one very obvious but vitally necessary thing to be true of us. And I've assumed it to be true in everything that I've said, and so has Paul. But now in this final verse, in verse 16, he finally makes it explicit that none of this is possible unless we are intimately connected to Jesus. For from Jesus, from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, it's only as we are united to Christ that we can maintain and attain our unity with one another. Only as we remain connected to the head can we as the body function as we ought to. I mean, it's very simple biology, isn't it? If the body is no longer attached to the head, then the brain can no longer tell the heart and the arms and the legs and the organs or any of it to function as it ought to. Brothers and sisters, I said to this, a few weeks, this to us a few weeks ago in my last sermon, but I have no problem saying it again now, that the day that we stop proclaiming Jesus is the day that we stop being a church. We must hold fast to him, for he is our life and our all. It is from him that we are given everything that we need to be a church that is united and grows up into him, into maturity, into unity. It is at the cross that he has won for us our salvation. He has won for us our part in his body. He won for us the gifts that he has gifted us so that we can serve one another. And the reality is, right, he has given us each other. Every single one of us are vitally necessary in us growing as a body, in us building ourselves up in love. Paul says that when each part is working properly, that is when we grow. When every one of us is functioning with the gift which Jesus himself has given to us, that is when we will build ourselves up in love. When we don't, it's like having a foot that doesn't work, or a fractured finger, or 
a back muscle that's out of place. Not only does it hurt, but it means that we don't work properly as we ought to. And I don't mean to say this to condemn or to make anyone feel guilty, but to make you feel a valued and a vital part of this church. You have something that I need. And even more than that, you have something that the whole church needs. Together, we need each other to be working properly, to be speaking the truth in love, to be growing in maturity and eagerly maintaining unity so that we would be the people of God that he has created us to be. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. The light of the world. The very thing in which the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You are part of something infinitely valuable and precious. And you play an urgent part in making the body of Christ what it is meant to be. United and mature and Christ-like. Our unity, it comes through us building each other up in love. Uh, Tony really likes using this image of the church being like a rescue ship rather than a cruise ship. And I don't blame him, it's a really great analogy. We are merely spectators. We cannot fulfill this glorious vision of the church which Paul is holding out for us. But I wonder sometimes if the church acts more like a bunch of these rescue dinghies which are going out from a cruise ship. Smaller individual groups going out to do what they think needs to be done. Uh, Sure, they will save a few. They will do good things. But those dinghies can only do so much, can't they? There's only so much fuel in their tanks. They can only go out on relatively flat tides. They certainly can't go out into the storms. But can you imagine if we truly were instead this great, huge and mighty rescue ship? Imagine if we as a church acted not as a bunch of individual groups going off to do what we think needs to be done, but that we came together, all of us, deep in the word, united in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, speaking the truth in love, building each other up, eagerly maintaining the unity of the Spirit. We would be a force to be reckoned with, a beacon of hope, having the capacity to reach those in the most difficult areas, to weather the toughest of storms, to remain faithful in the most difficult of trials, and discerning when dividing doctrine rears its head. We can and we must grow into this Gosnell's Baptist Church. As we are united, as we mature through gospel ministry, as we build each other up in love, as we hold steadfast to our Lord Jesus, we will be united as the people of God that he has made us to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for all that you have done for us. 
Not only have you saved us from our sin, but you have welcomed us into your family as your brothers and sisters, as your fellow heirs, as children of God. And you have given us everything that we need to live in unity as your people. You have blessed us with spiritual gifts so that we can strengthen and serve and build one another up so that we would pursue and live out the unity which you have won for us on the cross. Please help us, Lord, to live as we ought. Please change our hearts through your word, by your spirit, to be a united people, a mature people, so that we would live out this glorious vision to which you have called us to. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of this calling, Lord. We need your help. And thank you that you are so gracious and willing and ready to help us. Lord, we ask these things for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. Amen.